Well, good morning, ladies. I am very, very happy to be here. It's good to see you and be on this side of the tile. Um, I love being with your children. That has been, I don't know, I've been doing that with Kim for several years. And it's a privilege. Your children are so sweet. And I just, I love watching them. So, but today I'm over here. So this is, this is fun. And thank you for having me. Before I start, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious God. Lord, thank you that we are here today, that we can meet freely and learn about you, talk about your son, be changed by your word. What a privilege that is. Lord, I pray that we don't take that for granted. We have brothers and sisters that that don't have this privilege, and it's so easy for us to forget. So thank you, Lord. Lord, I do pray that this message today will work in all of our lives, that you would use it to make us more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So you've got your handouts. Um, we're going to go through the disciplines last. So we'll go back to the first page last but we'll do that at the end. So when we think of disciplining or discipline of shepherding our hearts, oftentimes we could start thinking, well, that's the time in the morning or in the evening or during nap time or during, well, your children's nap time, not your nap time. <laughs> um, the time where we spend in God's word with our Bible open. And, and that is... That is shepherding our hearts, sitting with God's word before us. Um, but as you know, and I know um, Suzanne's lesson talked a lot about this, shepherding our hearts throughout the day. When our Bible is closed, where we're just going through the motions of the day, where we're dealing with children, we're de dealing with coworkers, we're dealing with family, maybe dealing with problems, that's the time I want to specifically look at today. I do want to remind us first that our heart is our inner man. It's not a piece of you, it's you. It's, and I, I just heard this this weekend at a conference and I love it, it's the control center of the human being. That's what our heart is. You know, and we sometimes can, you know, we have to, especially with little ones, remind them, okay, it's not this thing that pounds. That is our heart, but that's not the heart we're talking about. We're talking about that control center of us. It's who you are. It's who I am. So, we, I just want to remind us, shepherding our hearts when our Bible is open. Why do we do this? And it's as simple as what Scott Maxwell says. We come to the Word of God to meet with the God of the Word. That's why we do it. We want to meet with the God of the Word. And why do we come with our Bible open and not just sit on our bed and meditate with a closed Bible and an empty mind? Well, God's Word in John 17, 3, and these are Jesus' words, it's his prayer, and it's for believers. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's Jesus' prayer for us. So that's why we come to the word of God with, with open hearts, with a heart saying, Lord, change me, teach me, lead me. So some things we want to do is we want to grow in our knowledge of God the Father, Jesus, the, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We want to grow in expressing our love for God, for what Christ has done, for what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. We want to grow in our enjoyment of the Lord. We want to grow in our fear and reverence of God. We want to grow in our understanding and our need for God. Because I think sometimes we get 
pretty self-confident and think, I don't need God. I got this thing and I've got it all figured out. We want to grow in our relationship with God. We want to grow in holiness. Being in God's word is part of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And remember, never say that verse without the next part, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And that's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Okay, the time we spend with the Lord in his word lays the foundation for the rest of the time. And again, there are a ton of different methods of how we spend time with the Lord. There's not one prescribed, thus saith the Lord, this is what it looks like. Think of all the different reading plans that are in the back of our notebook. That's my proof right there. Those are methods, but the principle is that we spend time in God's word, worshipfully before the Lord to change us, to make us more like Christ. So again, I want to look at where we live life. And I know, you know, I know most of you, and I know we have all different, we're in different seasons, different places, but that's where I want to talk about because And I'll often say, when I'm sitting there at the kitchen table with my Bible open (coughs) and I'm focused on the Lord, I'm focused, I'm I'm not, well, my mind still wanders, and that's, I have to deal with that. But it's a lot easier then than when I'm maybe driving in the car and somebody almost crashes into me or runs us off the road, Um, you know, or I get a phone call that's, the other shoe has dropped and I know I know we've all had those things that's that's the time I specifically want to look at today and I want to look at what it looks like when we don't do it well and when we do and so you have diagrams do you have a blue dry diagram and an orange great oh they're on one page this year Oh, man, that's like an 18-year-old font then, because I have, I would, those wouldn't work for me. I I would be in big trouble. So, mine are in like 58-year-old font. I can read them. Still need my glasses. So, we'll look at the orange one first. And the orange one is orange because orange is like, you Nobody's ever seen me wearing orange before because I don't, it's not my favorite color. Blue is the good one because I like blue. So, anyways, so now you know why. So, um, so the first diagram, the orange one, starts with listening to myself, my thoughts, my reasoning, it's wrong thinking, and it's a downward spiral. And it starts and it goes down. And that's to remind us, this will take you to the pit of despair if we don't deal with it. And it starts with, I desire, I deserve, and I demand. That's the formula that can so easily get us in trouble. So the definition of desire is to want something, to long, or to hope for. And desires aren't necessarily evil. One way to tell is if I want something more than I want God or I am willing to disobey God to get it. And there are some things that we automatically know are sinful desires. Christ teaches us it is always sinful to get drunk. It would be sinful to want somebody else's husband. It would be sinful to steal. So we don't really need to, we're pretty clear on that. If that's your desire and and you know it's sinful, you need to repent. Um, and you need to turn from it right away. There's, there's not really any wiggle room on that. 
The Tyndall Bible Dictionary says, evil desires, therefore, it is not necessarily a desire for something that one might label as wicked. It is essentially this desire to have one's own way. As such, it is idolatry. It's putting self in place of God. So how do we distinguish between good desire and bad desire? Ultimately, there is one basic issue. Is a person's desire self-centered or a desire for God's will? The Bible teaches that the essence of sin is a determination to have one's own way. Where we need to be especially careful is those neutral desires. For example, I might want a different house. I might want a newer car. I might want to be married. I might want to have children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. I might want to be respected. I might want to be treated kindly. Duh. But none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But it becomes sin when I want them at all costs. When I am consumed by getting that thing I want. So my desire plus what I think I deserve, back in the formula. So what I deserve. What this is, is thinking that God owes me something. Thinking I'm worthy of reward because I'm so wonderful. Because I serve with the 12-month-olds, and sometimes that's hard. So God, you've got to give me fill in the blank. Because what I've done. I've been kind to those who have been unkind to me, Lord. Don't you know? Aren't you aware? And that's thinking, I deserve something. And then, and this next one I think is kind of foolish, but I get it. When I desire and I deserve, I'm saying, I demand. And to think I can demand from the sovereign God of the universe, but I know I've done it. It's now, now I'm not getting what I desire, what I think I deserve, and I demand, which this can lead to that downward spiral. I'm disappointed, I'm discouraged, and now I'm in despair. And that is not a far step from being in very serious sin. It's shaking our fist at God. And we see sin's progression in Scripture. James 1, 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. And here's where we see that progression. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And we see that progression, that going down into the pit. So I want to look at the attitudes we find on the orange downward spiral. And this is kind of, this can help us diagnose where we're at. So if you're seeing yourself or I'm seeing myself as prideful and arrogant, like in Proverbs 28, 25, an arrogant man stirs up strife. That's what an arrogant person is. Someone, Are you someone that stirs up strife? <clears throat> How about being wise in your own estimation? And in essence, that's saying, I know better than God what I need. Romans 12, 16 tells us, it's a command. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Without peace. And the peace they have not known. If we're without peace, that's another sign. That's a symptom if we're bitter, if my mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, that's another sign. 
That's a symptom of something that's not right. A lover of pleasure and comfort. That's what 2 Timothy 3, 4 says. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I'm not saying, okay, let's let's love, you know, a, a bed of nails. You know, we're not we're not a masochist or a, I can't asceticism. We don't have asceticism where I'm not going to have anything nice because, you know, then then I'm loving pleasure. But when that becomes your primary desire, that is a symptom of something gone wrong. And angry, being angry, well, I don't even think I have to say anything about that. How about anxious and fearful? And this is the one where I personally struggle, is getting anxious and fearful. And I'll tell you, the place I go in my Bible, which will be in your Bible too, <laughs> is Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And I'm not going to read that all now. But it, the bottom line, and who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life? When I start worrying, I can remind myself, wait a minute, I can't add anything to this by worrying. But that passage is, it's a prescription. So that's um, something to remember. Being ungrateful. And I want to read, this is from 2 Timothy 3. And I want to read this list. Because you'll notice list of sins. And I, I want to tell you, usually you're not going to go on, on, on the diagrams and go, oh, I do this one thing. Sin tends to come, it has brothers and sisters and cousins that all tag along with it. Um, so if, if you're struggling in one area, you're probably struggling in others. Um, but So this list is one of the most terrifying lists in Scripture. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self and we all know that's the day we live in. I mean, in, there's, there's seminars of how to love yourself. It's, it's, we are foreign when it comes to that. And that started back when some of you weren't even born. And it's become, it's just, oh, you have to love yourself first before you can love someone else. Scripture does not say that. And I can go off on that, so I'm not going to. But... That is a symptom. If someone's telling you, oh, you need to love yourself first, run, because they're going to give you bad advice. <laughs> Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and the other terrifying part of this verse, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And that's the age we live in. Now, obviously, someone that looks like that, lover of money, boastful, lover of self, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, that is not the picture of a believer. And I want to be clear on that. If, if somebody ha If your life looks like that, then the next step is you need to check up on yourself and see if you're really in the faith. Um, but though, those lists of sin can, can really give us some insight of, Lord, where am I at? How am I doing? Help me. Search me, Lord. The next symptom is being envious and jealous. Being hopeless. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. How frightening is that, being separate from Christ? Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's another terrifying place to be. Then you may go 
to see on the right hand the actions. So you're going to see some actions if you aren't shepherding your heart well and you aren't shepherding it throughout the day. You're going to see yourself be demanding. Again, you're going to see loving yourself. You may see boasting. And James 4.16 says, But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Grumbling. Jude 16 says, These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. It is sin to grumble. Galatians 5.15 says, biting and devouring. Biting and devouring is another action that comes when we're not shepherding our heart. Or disputing. That's the next one. Um, We can be disputing and just causing all kinds of trouble. And if we're doing that, that's sinful. And it's a sign that we're not living the way the Lord would have us live. Criticizing and judging. And it's Luke 6, 41 and 42 says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out that speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. We are called to come alongside our bro- our sisters or our brother, but, well, that's another. Brother, if it's appropriate, it's really your brother or your husband, maybe your dad, but if you're going to come... Women don't counsel men. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? <laughs> Another one of my buttons. <laughs> so, um, But God's word instructs us, take care of that big log in your own eye and then go. It's not just, um, I've got a big log in my eye, can't say anything, I see sin, got it, I have to ignore it because I have a log. No, take care of your log and then go. Being prayerless, that's another thing that can happen. Not asking God. And we see examples of that in scripture. And you can look the scriptures up later. Withdrawing. Proverbs 18.1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Withdrawing is a huge huge symptom and I think a lot of us have seen friends that were close and then they start moving and then next thing you know they're in sin and serious sin so that is a symptom if you see that if you see that in your sister pursue her find out what's going on it's not like hey You've withdrawn. I know you're in sin. Don't do that. But check up on her. Be, be a good sister in Christ. Or if you find yourself withdrawing, go to your sister and say, Hey, I'm moving outside and I need you to help bring me back. Um, another symptom or action is returning evil for good. Proverbs 17, 13 says, He who returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Ah, that is terrifying. So if I'm not shepherding my heart, and I find myself on that orange spiral, I just, I'll, I'll start with I desire, I deserve, I demand, and next thing I'm just, because I don't get what I want, what I think I deserve, Now I'm disappointed, I'm discouraged, I'm despairing. And that, again, can open the door to get involved in serious sin. It's dangerous. This is not where we want to stay. And I, you know, I get life. 
life is we live in a fallen world this is not all perfect and at least from our vantage point I mean God's word tells us this is God uses all things to make us more like Christ so theologically I know that but I know sometimes those are really hard things um, so just if you find yourself on that orange spiral get ask someone for help we, we need to repent we need to change so now I want you to take a look at the blue spiral and it starts and builds up. Um, so the formula there is I desire plus what I truly deserve equals no demands. So I hold my desires with an open hand before the Lord seeking his will. And remember, if, if it's a sinful desire, repent. Get don't hold that with an open hand before the Lord because just don't do that. That would be foolish. Um, but hold it with a desire you have with an open hand before the Lord. Then understanding, what do I deserve? What, what does scripture say we deserve? Romans 2, 5 and 6 says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Before Christ, all we earned, all we ever, what we deserved was hell. God's word tells us that we deserve wrath. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserved death. But as believers, we have life, and we have life in Christ. And remember, for the believer the very worst day with the very worst nerves with the very worst fill in the blank whatever it is it is better than we deserve and this is the worst day here this is as bad as it will ever get for us as believers and you know what for the non-believer this is the, this is as good as it will get because they have hell before them. We have, there is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. So having a biblical understanding of what I truly deserve helps us to think rightly. And I wanna read a quote from the Greener Grass Conspiracy. And the little subtitle of it, Finding Contentment on Your Side of the Fence. And I know there's quite a few, raise your hand if, if you have that book and have read it. Yeah, there's quite a few. It's become like my new favorite book. And Melissa is coming to my house in, in January to give, to talk about this book. I would so much encourage you to come. It is, it is just one of those books that just sticks out and just, really helps adjust your perspective. Um, here's, and what's his name? Stephen Haltrog? Something like that. I don't know. He's got it. Here's what he says. Do you see how the gospel should obliterate complaining? Complaining is almost always rooted in a faulty sense of rights and privileges. Each of us has a lengthy list of things that we think we deserve. When life starts to short circuit and we don't get what we deserve, we start complaining. We imagine ourselves as the injured party who has every right to complain. But the gospel makes it very clear that the only thing we truly deserve is hell. God created us and therefore he owns us. As created, dependent beings, 
we owe him complete, unwavering allegiance and obedience. So understanding what we truly deserve helps us to live life with an open hand. Next, we want to make a request known to God with that open hand, understanding that what we deserve is wrath and death, and we make no demands. We can ask the Lord, but we're asking with an open hand. We are not shaking our fist at God, saying, God, if you don't give me fill in the blank, then you're not a good God, you don't love me, you don't care for me. And sometimes when we don't get what we want, and again, it can be a good thing, we can get to that place of saying, well, God, you don't care about me. Because if you cared about me, this wouldn't be like this. If you find yourself saying that to yourself, watch out. So we want to, I want to look at the attitudes on the blue spiral that we'll see when we're shepherding our hearts throughout the day, thinking rightly about our desires and what we deserve. We'll see a submissive attitude. We'll see an attitude of what the Lord wills, the Lord, Lord willing, I get to do this or that or go here or there. We'll find that we're content. And we see examples. Paul is such a good example of that. Um, As he's asking the Lord, please remove this thorn from my side. And he says, my grace, or Jesus said, verse 9, and he, and this is Jesus to Paul, has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, and this is Paul speaking, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Dave Harvey says, Godly contentment has to be more than being thankful you're better off than someone else. True contentment comes by comparing what we have to what our sins deserve. That means we find our contentment in the gospel. So when we understand that what our sins deserve is hell, then we can be content. Another attitude is not seeking my own way. It's not being wise in my own estimation. And this is a command in Romans 12, 16. Do not be wise in your own estimation. It's being humble. And I'm going to let you look up the verses later. It's being peaceable and peaceful. It's being anxious for nothing, as Philippians 4, 6 says. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's it's having that peace. It's being joyful. It's rejoicing in difficult times. James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. It's being self-controlled. It's understanding that we need endurance. And we can run our race with endurance. And it's knowing, as James 1 says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And needing strength. And it's trusting. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 
Verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So the actions you'll see as you're understanding and shepherding your heart through the, throughout the day, you'll see that you're asking God, that you're making your request known to him. You'll find yourself being more patient. You'll find that you're being thankful. You'll be forgiving. And that can be difficult. When we've been sinned against, it can be hard to forgive. But God tells us to do that. It's being gentle. It's being kind. It's being loving. And again, I'm going to let you ladies look up the verses later. It's overcoming evil with good. And that's from Romans 12. It, I'm, I am going to read this section. Romans 12, 17. Never, that's never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil evil with good you'll be devoted to prayer you will as first thessalonians five seventeen says pray without ceasing you'll pray as you go throughout your day it's not being vengeful and so as we look on the blue spiral as we're shepherding our hearts throughout the day we make our requests known. So you see that at the bottom. We're asking, we're making our request. We're being obedient to do what the Lord has called us to do. We're walking in obedience, being thankful, not grumbling or complaining, understanding that God is good, that he is sovereign, and that he loves us. And then we will be hopeful. Because we'll understand that all things do work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We will be hopeful, trusting the Lord. I'm checking the time. Okay. I want to read something to you from Paul Tripp. And I think I, I just like how he says this, so I want to go ahead and take the time to read it. You talk to yourself. No one is more influ influential in your life than you are. Think about that for a minute. We all think that there's other people outside who are always influencing us influencing us but in reality there's no one who speaks to me more than me because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself now I don't know about you late okay Paul Tripp's not saying this this is me um do you ever talk to yourself out loud I do I don't know if that's I I don't know if I've always done that or just as I've gotten older I mean I have been trying to remember it was recently where the words came out of my mouth as I'm driving down the freeway and I forget what I saw I wish I could remember because I tell you and I was like I can't believe I just oh I know what it was I had just gotten my hair done that's oh this is a great story so I'll tell you real quick <laughs> so I had just seen Bethany and got my hair done and I'm driving home and we had you know it's so fun to go to Bethany and, and I'm driving home, 
driving down Pecos Road, and I went, I didn't pay her. I'm like, I left. I didn't pay her. I totally forgot to pay Bethany. And it came out of my mouth just like that. What did I do? So anyways, so I talked to myself. That's just one, that's a better example of, oops. So I called her and said, Bethany, do you know that I didn't pay you? She said, no. I said, well, I didn't. I think I need to take care of that. So anyways, I talked to myself out loud, and it's kind of terrifying. But we do talk to ourselves, and here's, here's where Paul Tripp's going with this. People laugh at that statement, but I'm really quite serious. You're in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. You interpret, organize, and analyze what's going on inside and outside of you. You talk to yourself about the past, you talk to yourself about the future, and you talk to yourself about what you're experiencing in the present, not paying a bill. Obviously, this is an internal conversation. If you had this conversation aloud, they would probably put you into a ward. But that's why it's so dangerous. You often don't even realize that you're saying things to yourself, but you are. You're saying things to you that will shape your desires, actions, and theology. What are you saying to you about God and your circumstances? Do your words stimulate faith, hope, and courage? Or does your walk stimu- your talk stimulate doubt, discouragement, and fear? Do you remind yourself that God is near? Or do you reason with yourself that given your circumstances, he must be distant? Here's the question. How wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every day? Do you remind yourself of your need? Do you point yourself once again to the beauty and practicality of God's grace? Do you tell yourself to run toward him in those moments when you feel like running from him, No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. What will you say to you today? And one of the reflection questions he asked, would you be comfortable with someone listening to a recording of your internal conversation? I wouldn't. I mean, I can say even this morning as I was getting dressed to come here, looking in my closet, I had on more than one thing. And this is what I ended up with. <laughs> and I had a conversation with myself about what I was going to wear. And so we do that. And it's just, we need to understand that. And we need to, when we're doing, talking to ourselves, we need to speak truth. And so that's the next part of the lesson. Um, on, it's on the second page, and it's blank, so you're going to have to do some writing. Um, I want to encourage you ladies that these are some suggestions. There's more. But I want to encourage you to make these habits Habits, people can think, habits, what are you talking about? That's a bad thing. If it weren't for habits, life would be really, really hard because think about it. Every time you did something, whether it be brushing your teeth, you you would have to walk yourself through that process of, okay, I get out my toothbrush, I pull out the toothpaste, I take off the cap, squeeze it from the middle, or from the end, depending who you are in our house. Problem solved by two tubes of toothpaste. (laughs) When we share, it's funny. I'm the one that's that in the middle, and Tom's like, what are you doing? And so then, I love the new toothpaste, because I just take it, and I, boom, and it's fixed. And he's like, no, 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 that's not the same. 
It works. That's why we have two tubes. Not just problem solved. Um, but habits are a good thing because otherwise, just think about it. Every day you'd have to relearn how to get out of bed. You'd have to relearn how to brush your teeth, do your hair, all those things. Um, so the other part of it is I want to encourage you, you know, and I know there's lots of different things going on. Some people right now are in a season of great difficulty. Some are in an easier season. It, it's helpful if you can learn this when life is a little bit on the, quote, easier side. And my example I came up with, it made sense to me, hopefully it will to you, is I would not take my 16-year-old and teach them to drive. Here, I've got an 18-wheeler for you. That's an icy road ahead and an icy bridge. Start driving, okay? You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't start on the hardest thing in the middle of the snowstorm. You'd say, okay, let's go over to the parking lot at the high school on a nice sunny day and no cars in the parking lot and let's have you practice there. You want to learn, learn this now. And if you're in a hard season, well, that, that's where God has you. And I just want to encourage you, hang in there and hopefully this will help. So what does it look like? Um, and our goal isn't just to put on right thinking, as important as that is. We want to be glorifying God in everything we do. And one other little side note. Consider how are you doing physically? Have you had enough sleep? Are you getting exercise? Are you eating well? Is it that time of the month? That time of the month, okay? Um, we sometimes think that our physical body has no impact on our spiritual well-being. Those things aren't to make an excuse. But if I have a migraine headache and I can't even think straight, it is harder for me to obey. I need to understand that about me, and then I need to understand that about others. You know, if I know a friend has not slept for, you know, a week in a row, I want to give grace. So, so just remember that. It's not an excuse, but it helps sometimes give understanding. And the second thing is, what are you filling your mind with? If you're filling your mind with romance novels or listening to, I always pick on country music because it seems like that's where it's always awful. Um, you know, if, if you're filling your mind with things that breed discontentment, an example would be if, you know, I don't really like my house. I want a new house. I really want a new house and I really want new furniture. So I spend my time looking at Better Homes and Gardens and Pinterest, and I go looking at model homes in my spare time. Well, you've just set yourself up for failure. Don't do that. If you find something is a struggle, get it out of your life. Radically amputate it as, if you can. I mean, there are some things you can't just get rid of that may be annoying you. Um, but. Be wise in that and evaluate. So those are the kind of side notes. So the first thing you need to do is you need to pray, obviously. We need to ask for God's help. The second thing which Wellspring is about is, and why it's so important, is Bible reading. We want to be experts in the Bible. We want to know God. Memorize scripture. Know the promises of God. Renew your mind. Think on truth. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence or if, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
Those are the things we need to be thinking about. From the Greener Grass Conspiracy, he says, the promises of God are our weapons in the battle against discontentment or wrong thinking. For every temptation to be discontent, there's a promise of God that meets that temptation. The abundant grace of God promised in the scriptures far exceeds any circumstances we encounter. But if we're going to fight discontentment effectively, we need to stockpile our weapons. When temptation strikes, we need to have go-to promises to sustain and strengthen us. There should be pages in our Bible that are tattered and torn from constant use. That would be the Psalms. Um, there's just all kinds of places in Scripture where you need to take your heart when you're struggling and put your heart right there before it. The promises of God. And I believe you have from, if you went to the prayer retreat, there's a list of the promises of God um, as in the back of that, I believe. Um, look for the promises of God. Make sure they're to you, but but look for them. Remember, here, here's just a few. God is always at work. God is with you. God is loving. His steadfast love endures forever. God loves you. Put on the armor of God. That's Ephesians 6. Study the attributes of God. That's another thing to do, is study the attributes attributes of God. And your homework this week, you're going to look at Psalm 103 and look for the attributes of God. That is a hugely beneficial lesson when you're struggling. A.W. Pink's book, The Attributes of God, and I'm fairly certain it's on the bookshelf, is it's a, it is a great resource that will help you. Um, Number four, spend time studying the heroes of the faith. There, there are examples in scripture. Obviously, look at Jesus. He's our number one hero of the faith. But look at Joseph and Job and Paul and Peter. Read Hebrews 11 and 12. The fifth thing to do is remember your identity in Christ. And I keep a copy of this around. This is from Smed's message back in August. It was August 31, 2014. And you can go there and you can print this off. And this is, I think, four or five pages. And all these things are who we are in Christ. I'm just going to read a few. We are, let's see free from the mastery of sin. We are slaves of God, uncondemnable, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, sons of God, adopted. We're foreknown. We're God's elect. And the list goes on and on. This is our identity in Christ. As believers, this is who we are. When you're discouraged, pulling something out like this and going through it, I mean, I remember when Smed taught this message. I thought we were, and maybe we did, but in my mind, we were all standing up and cheering because this is who we are in Christ. And he got to the end and it's like, breathe, Smed, breathe. But this is so, this is, this is like balm to your sad soul when you're weary and, and life is hard. This is comforting for the believer. This is ours. The transformation of man chart, not the left part. That's who we were. Put that aside. But what God has done and, and what's coming. You know, this isn't all there is. Praise God. Um, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, and that's the gospel primer. Number six, singing and worship. We've got the songbook. You know, Sometimes you can sing through the house those songs that you know. Um, put if, if you can't sing because you're struggling and life is hard, 
put on worship music. We've got Spotify. I won't explain that, but Spotify's a program, and it's got our music, Grace Bible Church's music. Blast it. Put it so loud that that's what you're hearing instead of your voice telling you, ah, you're not worthy. Put on, put, put on music. Um, another thing we need to do is have other believers at close range fellowship. This is one of the means of God's grace. And that's why it is so encouraged that you're part of a small group. That's what's so wonderful about the discussion groups is we get to know each other. And I just read this. This is 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7. And this is just an evidence of what God does. Um, this is Paul saying, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. So they're fighting and they're fearful. And I love this verse. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Okay? God sent someone to encourage. So I just want to encourage you. We, if, if you're struggling and you're feeling like you want to run away, don't run away. Run towards someone. And I, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And I read that. I went, oh, God, you are faithful. And I think we all have had that happen where we're downcast. And then a friend calls. We're now texts. And it's like, oh, thank you, Lord, for sending that friend, sending that reminder. Another thing we can do is serve others. That is something we need to do when, when we're struggling. We need to sometimes, and sometimes you're serving others. The, the only thing, and it's a big thing that you can do is pray. You may be in a spot where there's not, that's the only thing you can do for someone else. Do that. The ninth suggestion is make a Thanksgiving list. Make a list of what you're thankful for. And it may be, Lord, I'm thankful for the coming of Titus. I'm thankful that my friend called me. The tenth thing to do is keep eternity in view. Colossians 3 tells us, Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And one more quote from the Greener Grass Conspiracy. Through Christ who th strengthens us, we can be content in our loneliness and disjointed relationships. But our longings for relationships should also remind us that this world is not our final resting place. In Christ, we can be truly content while on this earth, but will never be fully satisfied. The day we see Jesus Christ face to face and look into the eyes of our Savior, we'll say, now I'm truly satisfied. Heaven is our home, not this earth. And we're foolish to try to make this earth heaven because it's not going to happen. And the 11th thing that I want to encourage you, if you are in a really difficult place, the thing you may need to do, and it may be the only thing you can do, is to do the next right thing. It may be living your life literally one minute at a time. There are times where, and it, I mean, there's all kinds of different situations that we can be in where that's all, all we can do is, okay, Lord, five minutes. I, I can do this for five minutes, and now another five minutes, and another five minutes. Do the next right thing. And you may need to ask yourself, Lord, I don't even, I can't even figure out what the next right thing is. 
ask someone and it may be just saying, Lord, I need you. Help me to do the next right thing. So if things are going well, you're in a season of peace, be thankful. Spend time getting to know God deeper and deeper and better and better so that when those storms come, when you're in that 18-wheeler on the icy road and the snow is coming down and you can't see straight, you're prepared, you're ready. For me, one of my go-to verses is Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate me, it actually says us, but me, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a promise that sustains me when things aren't going the way I want them to. It's like, Lord, I know. I know this is from you. And I know you're a good God. I know you're sovereign. And I know there's nothing that can separate me. So I want to quickly go through the disciplines and just encourage you that hopefully what we've what you've heard me say today will help you and remember the purpose of Wellspring is to equip and encourage and that's what I hope I hope I've equipped you and I hope I've encouraged you to shepherd your hearts towards Jesus Christ with the word of God so that we live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. And the first place, obviously, is with our own heart. We need to be shepherding our own heart. And the second one is in the home. What a place where we need to encourage others. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. So as you're with the others in your home and they're struggling, you can come alongside them. And as you have shepherded your heart, now you can come alongside them and say, you know what, let me comfort you with the comfort that God has given me. God took me through this and it's not a fire alarm. That's okay. Um, we can come alongside. We can comfort. Okay, that's within our home. And then we can go into Grace Bible Church or with other believers and our hearts fixed on God. We keep our God-given ministry in, in within our homes, that's our priority. But now, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Ladies, we are called to be reminders. We need to remind ourselves of what God has done, and then we can come alongside and remind... Any, pretty much any time I talk to anybody, I'm not telling anybody anything new that they haven't already heard, that they don't know, that they haven't read. But I'm reminding someone, if somebody's hurting, I want to just remind them, here's what God has done. And you know what? I can remind them, you know what? God comforted me here, and I trust God's going to comfort you where you are. That's what God has called us to do. So as we shepherd our own hearts, then we're able to shepherd the people that are right close in our home. And then we can come into the church. And it may be that walking down the, the corridor with another gal just saying, you know, hang in there. God is faithful. He's good. 
don't forget he loves you. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes that's, that's the most comforting thing is just being reminded that God loves us. For the believer, there's nothing that can separate us. And we just need to remind each other of that. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this day, Lord. And I do pray that we would just speak your words to each other. That as we grow in grace and grow in knowing you more and more, that we would come alongside those in our in our homes and those that walk alongside us, that we would be encouragers, that we would remind our sisters of who you are, of how you love your people. You are a good and gracious God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.